let's pray together, please. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the, the love that they share with each other and with, with others uh, about Jesus. We believe in Jesus here at this church, Lord. We believe in God and, and the Holy Spirit. We believe in the death and the resurrection. And we believe that, that in our own uh, time, when, when we are called uh, to uh, enter through death's door, that death is not the end. We believe in the resurrection. We believe in heaven. And so, Lord, as we talk today about a very critical uh, subject of believing in your word, help us to understand, help us to receive this message and uh, may it be delivered in a spirit of love as intended. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 13, verse 22, I referred to that last week, where it mentions that David is a man after God's own heart. And uh, what a blessing for God to say that about him. It's really David's epitaph. It's handwritten by God. Uh, does that mean that David was perfect uh, to say that he was a man after God's own heart, that, that he didn't have any sin in his life? Absolutely not. He, he, had a, he had lots of sin. All we have to do is check the record and we see that to be true. He was guilty of murder. He was guilty of adultery. He lived under the same sinful nature that you and I live under. And so let no one say something like this. Well, I, I really can't relate to David because, because he didn't have sin in his life. Yes, he did. In fact, what we can learn from him is how to deal with our sin. We need to give our sin to God. We need to repent of it and be cleansed of it. In fact, next week as I preach to you in this series that we have entered into on the book of Psalms, that's the subject I'm going to touch on next week and just that we pursue the heart of God through having a penitent heart. Uh, I, I'm challenging you every week of this summer to be a man or a woman, a young person who is pursuing the heart of God. That's the, the sermon series throughout the, the whole summer on this book of Psalms. Last week we talked about the importance of being single-minded as David was and make it your ambition to have a close, personal relationship with your Creator. There is nothing that matters more than that. Seek to know Him. Don't just be satisfied with knowing about Him. And really, that is the problem with a lot of church members. They just know about God. They have information, but they don't have transformation. They know that God is their Creator. They know that God has done so many miracles throughout the Old Testament. They, they know the story of the Red Sea, how the people of Israel, led by Moses, came to the, the banks of the Red Sea, and God, in His miraculous power, caused those waters to divide, and the people were able to walk across on dry land. In fact, here just a few weeks ago, I received a piece of mail in, uh, in my box and I looked and, and there was a headline on that piece of, of uh, paper and it said, The Red Sea Crossing Has Been Found. 
And there was a, re- uh, there was a website there that you could, could, could go to and, and you could read up all about the, the crossing of the Red Sea and the evidence that is being found over that. And, and people are filling their minds with knowledge. But if that's all we're doing, is just filling our minds with knowledge, but we're not filling our heart with Him, knowledge is not enough. Oh, the church is full of knowledge. We know about Joshua and the walls of Jericho coming down. We know about Daniel and the lion's den and how God reached down and caused the mouths of those lions to to be shut. We know about Abraham. We know about Joseph and Esther and moving into the New Testament. We know about Jesus and Him being born of a virgin. And we know about His miracles. We know that He died on the cross and He raised from the dead. We know He's the Son of God. But if that information isn't getting into our heart and grabbing hold of us and transforming us, then what good is the knowledge? We must seek to know Him intimately. Be a person who pursues the heart of God and know that if you pursue Him, He is easily found. He is not playing hide-and-seek with us. His arms are open wide to us, each and every one of us. And it is a beautiful thing to think about the fact that not only can we pursue Him, but the God of this universe has already pursued us. He's made it possible for us to have this personal relationship with Him through His Son Jesus. And that is what He wants more than anything. Today I want to spend some time in Psalms 119. And really the emphasis today will be this, that we would pursue the heart of God through the Word of God. Are you familiar with Psalms 119? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It has 176 verses in that chapter. Interestingly, only four of those verses do not mention the Word of God. And so this chapter is just stuffed full of of emphasis on the Word of God. It's interesting too to see how it has been written. This particular chapter has stanzas of eight verses in each stanza. There are 22 stanzas in this chapter. Interestingly, there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Stanza number one in Psalms 119, eight verses in that stanza, every one of those stanzas, the first letter in that, in that word, in each verse, begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet. You go to the second stanza of, eight, of, the, of the next eight verses in this chapter, Every one of the verses in that stanza begins with the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it goes right on down the line to the point that you get to the 22nd stanza of this chapter. That's 22nd uh, group of eight verses. And every one of those verses begins with the 22nd letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It is an amazing chapter. And really, we shouldn't be surprised at this because it's the inspired Word of God and He is amazing. And His Word 
is amazing. In fact, you might find it interesting if you turn to the 119th chapter of the book of Psalms, you'll see these stanzas set up, eight verses in each stanza, and above each stanza there is a, there is a word that, that you and I, probably we don't know what it is because it's a Hebrew word, but the Hebrew word is the letter of the alphabet. And then there's a little squiggly mark there next to the word. And that is how that that Hebrew letter is written in the Hebrew language. There are ten synonyms used in this chapter. All of them referring to the Word of God. If you read through this chapter, you will find His laws being spoken about, His commands, His ordinances, His precepts, His testimonies, His sayings, His judgments, His ways, His path. All talking about the Word of God. Let me mention to you from this chapter, first of all, David's attitude about the Word of God. I have to confess to you, As I read through this chapter this last week and spent some time there, I I became convicted. I had a pen in my hand and a piece of paper, and as I read through each verse, I was keeping a running list of David's attitudes towards this book. And as I got to the end of the chapter and I looked at this long list of attitudes, that showed up in this chapter, I'm thinking, you know, my attitude towards the Word of God often falls short of where it really needs to be. This is what I found. He loves this book. David loves this book. He said, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's verse 97 of this chapter. Verse 167, he said, I love your testimonies exceedingly. The New International Version says it this way, I love them greatly. (laughs) Think about it. David had a love affair with the Word of God. Now, the book that he was dealing with was not in really book form like we have today. The, The Scriptures in David's day would have been on scrolls. And really what David was dealing with more than anything in his day was the five books of law written by Moses. We call them the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Exodus, or uh, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He had a love affair with the Word of God. Verse 103, he said, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Verse 72, he says, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Verse 127, he says, Therefore I love your commandments above gold, yes, above fine gold. I would say David had a very high view of the Word of God. Verse 111, he says, I have inherited your testimonies forever. They are the joy of my heart. What is it that brings joy to your heart? David is saying one of the things that brought joy to his heart was the Word of God. Verse 164, he says, Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. In David's mind, this book is pure. 
It is the truth. It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is everlasting. It is wonderful. It's what He meditates on. It's what He rejoices in. It's what He is thankful for. He waits on the Word of God. He lifts His hands up to the Word of God. He diligently considers what the Word of God says. He stands in awe of the Word of God. He seeks His Word. He trusts in God's Word. He longs for His Word. He promises to keep His Word. He hopes in His Word. As I compiled that list, I began to understand better why David would be called a man after God's own heart. He placed great value upon the Word of God. He delighted in God's Word. He considered the Word His counselor. Let me read to you verse 24 of this chapter. It says, Your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. I don't know about you, but for me, I need to love this book more. I need to spend more time in this book. I need to focus on the book. I need to heed to the book. I need to let the the message of this book get a hold of my heart and consume me. I was thinking, when my wife speaks to me, if I listen to her, if, if I put my attention upon her, if I focus upon what she is saying, it really makes her happy. It, it, it sends a message to her that I value her, that, that she's important to me. On the other hand, though, if she speaks to me and I don't pay attention to her, if I put my ears somewhere else and I'm not interested in what she is having to say to me, that hurts her. And I'm sure the same is true with God. When He speaks to us through His Word, He wants to know that we are listening to Him, that we are interested in what He has to say. When we have that kind of attitude towards His Word, it pleases Him. How about this? Not only as I read through this chapter did I see the attitudes that David had towards the Word of God, I saw him listing a number of benefits that if we are in the Word of God, we are going to benefit greatly from that. And this is what he had to say. Verses 9 and 11, one of the benefits, he said, How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your Word. Your Word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against God. And so what is the benefit? Victory over sin. If we treasure God's Word in our heart. Do you remember Jesus as He was in the wilderness and He was doing battle with the evil one? Satan was tempting Him. And the way in which Jesus overcame those temptations was by quoting the Word of God. He said, it is written. And then He quoted Scripture to the devil. 
Do you want to have victory over the devil? Do you want to have victory over temptation that comes your way? Then you be a student of God's Word. You understand and and consume the message of this book, and then that will help you be victorious over sin in your life. How about verse 50? Here's another benefit. It says this, This is my comfort in my affliction that your Word has revived me. Do you need some comfort today amidst hardship that you're going through? One of the ways that God brings His comfort to you is through His Word. But you have to be in the book. You have to be in His Word to receive that comfort. If you just lay the book on the shelf and you don't open it up through the week, if you aren't seeing what God has to say to you, then it's impossible for Him to comfort you through His Word. Here's what else I found. Verse 98. Your commandments, David says, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. You think about it. We're working on a pretty good list here. If we are in the Word of God, it's going to give to us victory over sin. It's going to give to us comfort amidst our hardships. And it will make us wise. Verse 130 says this, The unfolding of God's Word brings understanding to the simple. I read that and I said, that's me. Simple-minded. I'm not real smart, but, but this book can help me be understanding. And that's a pretty good thing. Do you want wisdom? Do you want understanding? Do you need discernment in a situation? Then you spend time in this book, and as a result, a benefit from that will be that God grants you wisdom. He'll grant you understanding. David says this, His Word revives us. That's mentioned several times in this chapter. He says that the Word of God sustains us. He said it strengthens us, it gives to us peace, and it grows us in our reverence for God. Let me read to you verse 38. It says, Establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. That's interesting. The more you and I are in the Word of God, the more of a reverent spirit we are going to have towards God. We're going to understand who He is. And we are going to be reverent towards Him. This book can change your life. If you get into the book. Now, Satan is aware of all of this. He knows what this book can do for you. And so... He he understands that this book, if you are in this book, it will help you to have the heart of God. So he's going to try and do everything he can possibly do to keep you out of this book. He will distract you. He will attack you. He will give you lots of excuses, hoping that you will grab hold of one of those excuses and, and it will keep you out of being in this book. I hope you will recognize his tactics and resist him. So let's go to the third point. How does all of this 
apply to us in the here and now? Well, obviously, we need to get into this book and let it do its work in us. James chapter 1, verse 21 says that we need to receive the word implanted, which is able also to save our souls. What's that mean? It simply means this, that the Word of God is going to point us to the Savior, the One who is able to save us from our sins, and as we get into Him and into the Word, it's going to help us have a heart for God. Now you already know this, there is a great conflict between what is written in this book and what the world is preaching to us today. In fact, that conflict, that gap is getting wider and wider. And so I I guess to resolve this conflict, we could take the opinion that what's in this book is just really, it's old, it's antiquated, it's surely out of date, it needs some modification. We are now living in the 21st century and we need to catch God up to date. We need to help Him out, to help Him be more understanding of the times in which we live. That could be the attitude that we take, but that's not going to be the attitude that we take here. Now, there are some churches that seem to have responded in that way, but that cannot be our response. Did you hear me say earlier that that David in this chapter is talking about the book of God, the Word of God being everlasting, and that it is the truth? Let me read to you from Psalms 119 what he had to say about that subject. Verse 160, it says this, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Would you read that with me, please, all of us together? The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. I mean, is there any part of that verse that's hard to understand? The sum of your word. What's he talking about there? He's talking about the totality of God's word from cover to cover. Every book, every word, every verse, every chapter, the sum of your word is Truth. In other words, this book is spot on. It is reliable. It's firm. It's sure. It has no falsehood in it whatsoever. There are no contradictions in this book. There are no oops from God after the book was written. It is truth. And by the way, that is in agreement with what Jesus said about this book in John chapter 17, verse 17. He said, Thy word is truth. That verse out of Psalms 119 continues on. It says, Every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. And there are other verses that that give support to this. God's Word does not change with the times. Psalms 119, verse 142 says, Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. How about this verse? 
from Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Jesus was talking. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Do you know what I'm saying to you today? I'm saying that though we live in times that are changing, the Word of God does not change. It holds true. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8 says, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God stands forever. Truth is truth. And though the world says it's not truth anymore, that doesn't negate the truth. Mankind can deny the truth. The Supreme Court justices can try to rewrite the truth. Governments can try to suppress the truth. ISIS can try to destroy the truth. The church can try to redefine the truth. But the truth will stand forever. It will not pass away. It is everlasting. I had, I had a couple come up to me after the early service and, and they asked me a question. What about if, if the laws of God are everlasting? What about all of those laws in the Old Testament that have to do with dress and food and diet? What about those laws? And that, it was a good question. And it, it's honestly a question that I contemplated dealing with in the sermon. I had decided just to leave that alone because of time's sake. But because of that question, I took some time and I want to take some time to mention to you what I said to them. The Word of God overall is everlasting. It will stand. The laws of God, so many of those laws, such as the dietary laws and the dress laws, those were crucified on the cross with Jesus. They were put to death on the cross with Jesus. Those laws couldn't save us. They couldn't save anybody. In fact, those laws, what the good of those laws was to point out to us that we could not save ourselves, that we could not keep the law. And that was the whole purpose of Jesus coming to this earth, to die on the cross for our sins, to save us from the curse of sin. So it was a very good question when I talked to you about the Word of God lasting forever and it being eternal. I'm not talking about the Old Testament laws having to do with sacrifices. But I am talking about the truth of God the Word of God, the heart of God, and what He has passed to, to us in His Word, that will last forever. And I say all of this, being, I want to be very clear to you this morning, in light of what the Supreme Court has just decided a, a couple of weeks ago about this issue of homosexuality and uh, same-sex marriage. Homosexuality is a sin, according to this book. And marriage is to be between a man and a woman, period. Jesus said it this way, The Scripture cannot be broken. 
Does that mean that God doesn't love the homosexual? No, that doesn't mean that at all. He does love the homosexual. He wants to save the homosexual from his or her sin, just like he loves every sinner and wants to save every sinner from from their sin. But he will never change his word to keep up with the times. You hear that? He will never change his word to keep up with the times. Now sometimes we are accused of just pinpointing this one sin and and picking on it. I, I don't want to be guilty of that, although I will say in our defense that this is the one sin that continues to be thrown in our face and we are being pressed and we are being pressed and we are being pressed to change our view on this issue. We cannot change our view because the Word of God is not going to change. It's not going to pass away. We do need to love the sinner. I want to emphasize that. We as a church, we as individuals need to figure away to love better the sinners. To love them with the love of Jesus. But can we say that we love them if we didn't speak the truth to them? I mean, if, if we don't speak the truth to them and they go to hell, can we say that we really love them? I know this issue touches a lot of people, maybe right here in this room, probably so. There are people in this room who have loved ones who have chosen this kind of lifestyle, and I don't mean to cause a problem this morning. I simply want to speak the truth of God to you in love, and I want us to speak the truth of God in love to the lost sinners. And at the same time, let me say this, the truth of God has not changed about any other sin that we might want to put in the spotlight. Oftentimes, it's this this sin of homosexuality that we are dealing with, and, and God's Word is not going to change concerning that. But what about this? What about the sin of immorality, of, of sleeping with someone who's not your, your mate? Living with someone prior to marriage. What about that? Has God's Word changed concerning that over the years? No, it has not changed one iota. It's still sin. And... And it saddens me to see so, so many. This is the norm these days for a person, even those who have grown up in the church, oftentimes we will see them, them leave and, and they'll, they'll get, a, get out of college and they'll find somebody and they'll, they're living with them, not married to them. That is still rebellion against God. It's still a sin. And that isn't going to change no matter what the times are, are in which we live. Lying is still sin. Temper tantrums are still sin. Bitterness is still sin. The Word of God cannot be amended. It cannot be modified or corrected. It is the truth, and the truth of God will stand. And so in a nutshell, 
this morning, let me remind you of what the truth is. And we sang it just prior to the service. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit that the three are one. We believe in the resurrection. That Jesus died on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead. And because of that resurrection, we have the hope of a resurrection today for ourselves. That's... That's the truth in a nutshell. And He is the Lord of all. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who has the right to set the rules. And so what is it that He has said that we must do to come to Him? We must come to Him in faith. And we must repent of our sins. And we must be buried with Him in Christian baptism to be washed clean from our sins. And then we rise to walk in newness of life. That's the truth in a nutshell. And the truth will never change. So where are you at with the truth of God? If you've if you're one who has never given your life to Jesus Christ, the invitation today is for you to come and to surrender your life to Him, to choose to live for Him, and to enjoy heaven with Him forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We believe it is the truth. We thank you for our country that we have been able to have access to your word. Lord, help this church to be one that is known for standing on the truth, but also Help us to be known for loving the sinner. And that you would help us to find that balance, Father. Sometimes that's a hard balance to find. Help us to love the sinner. To share Jesus with them. And we pray this in Jesus' blessed and holy name. Amen.